Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label or quitting an independent record label. It, uh, here's I've been doing this um, podcast now for over five years. And if you know the history of other record labels, you know it came out of this time where I felt stuck with my own record label. I felt like I was treading water, alienated from other labels, like any sort of community. I just needed help. I needed guidance, a community, et cetera. Fast forward to now where other record labels is my full-time job. And ironically, fostering this community has meant less and less time for my own record label. I get asked a lot about the status of my record label that I started in 2010. And I wanted to share a little bit of that story today. It actually dawned on me recently why I found it hard to maintain my label and why it's pivoted to being either on hiatus altogether and or just only releasing my own music. I want to tell you the story of why I quit my own record label and three things that you can learn from my hindsight. Before I do, if you're new to the show and if you're thinking about starting a record label, maybe you stumbled upon this episode because you're thinking about starting a record label and you thought, hey, why not listen to an episode of why somebody quit their own record label? (laughs) Um, Go to otherrecordlabels.com. Otherrecordlabels.com, there's a link in the description of this episode. And there you'll find all these resources for record labels um, who aren't quitting, including our toolkit, which is a free download that includes all of our, pretty much all of our resources in one zip file. And you can get that one by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash toolkit. I recently had an epiphany about my label, and that's what I wanted to share with you today. When I started my label with a group of friends, the word of the day was community. It was all about going to shows, hosting shows, hosting home shows. It was about the people who came to those shows, who bought records. And even before there was records, um, you know, before we had made records, it was doing something every weekend and that involved this music community. It was about the artists on the label. It was about the musicians and the bands. It was about recording on each other's records and playing shows with each other and touring with each other and running the merch table for each other. It was all about community. Like all good things, that community slowly came to an end. Maybe the novelty wore off. Maybe the school semester ended. After a few years, that community just organically dissipated to a point where people went off and got married and went to school somewhere else and just naturally lost interest in the record label and in that community. Totally natural. No one really felt it at the time. As I felt this natural phase two happening with the label, like a 2.0, if you will, I felt like it no longer had the identity of community. There was this sort of dark period where the label didn't necessarily have an identity. It basically had to become, now that it was no longer about community, it had to become just a regular record label that periodically released records. (laughs) After the novelty and everyone's life changed, It kind of boiled down to just releasing a few albums here and there. I didn't know it at the time, but the label became, in this process, it became my outlet. It was my creative expression. It was an extension of what I was passionate about. I think in our second year, there was two releases that cemented that reality. There was this obscure, interesting sounding record I discovered on Bandcamp in 2012, and I did a release of it in Canada, a re-release. And some of our followers didn't get it, but it's my favorite album, and I was so proud to release it. 
at the same time, we started working with this on this mystery EP um, that we kind of kept quiet. And then we like surprise dropped uh, one day in November. And that release did really well. When this community that I mentioned dissipated, when our other team members lost interest, I squirreled away and focused on music that I was deeply passionate about. And I enjoyed this new season. Uh, and I was involved with AR and pre production, and then recording and mixing these records and designing the covers, pitching them to press and getting things manufactured. When records blew up and got huge opportunities, as some of them did, it was my win. I felt like it was my record getting acknowledged or rewarded. And when the opposite happened, when an album was looked over or didn't win an award, I took it really personally. This actually, now in hindsight, I realized created a problem. I didn't think it would create a problem. And it's something I actually realized became a problem later on. And it wasn't until after I had become a bit disenfranchised with the idea of the label and maybe even getting less patient and empathetic with the artists I was working with, I now realize this was a fault. It was my fault. Here's where the problem was. Because I took these releases so personally, I became less flexible and less patient less empathetic. My passion was a good thing until it became a bad thing. I wanted to release music that I was proud of as if it were my own. And that desire bled into everything from the music videos to the artwork, to the shows, to the set lists. Even I would want to be, I wanted it to all be done my way. And you're saying that now it's, it's grim. It's not a great thing to say. And I've said this before. Uh, about how record labels are conduits from the artist to the fans. They should be a bridge. And I had moved far beyond being just a conduit now that I, I can look back and, and notice this. Micromanaging might be a good word to use here, but to me, it was more intimate than that. It was more this label and these releases, even though this isn't my music, this is still an extension of me as an artist to the point where Ignored pitches or declined pitches really hit me personally as if it was my own records. And, I, and that, I think, became the Achilles heel. And I think that became a fault um, for better or for worse, probably for worse. I do still believe it was the right thing to do. I'll just say this for a second. But I think it ended up creating this chasm between me and the artist. And, and the reason why I had to abandon a couple of projects, because they started veering off into an artistic direction that I wasn't excited about or that I didn't feel was an extension of me as an artist. And honestly, I don't know if I fully would have done anything different because when there is little to no money involved, as, as there wasn't back then, the passion and the fulfillment of it has to offset that lack of remuneration, right? Is that the right word? <laughs> remuneration? I guess I, I guess a good analogy, and I'm, I'm being defensive here, but I guess a good analogy of what I envision for the label for me is like a movie director. So if you're a Tarantino or a Scorsese, you have a vision for your film. It has a tone to it. You see it in the cinematography. You see it in the color correction. You hear it in the music. You have this overarching artistic style for the film. And then you hire these actors to come in and play a role. While everybody goes to the film for the actors, everybody's excited about the celebrities and the, and the actors. But in reality, the actors are just obeying the director and they're kind of falling in line with the director's artistic vision and they're, they're just pulling off the artistic, the director's vision. 
In some cases, the actor can express their own art, artistic style in the film. But of course, for the most part, it's the director's vision, right? Um, even though we all know everyone just cares about going to see those actors, um, it's still under the coaching of the style that the director has in mind. So that's kind of the analogy for a record label that I personally envisioned. Again, for better or for worse, I'm honestly not saying for sure I was, in, I was wrong in my approach. The artist might say I was wrong. But for me, this is just how I am as a creative. I'm obsessed with every piece of it. It's honestly why I've never been in a band. The idea of compromising on art like sickens me, but other people are good at it. So God bless them. I think there's three things I want you to take away from this story. And this all has come to light as I thought back to the past 10 to 13 years for me, of course, with the benefit of hindsight. But there's three takeaways that I, I want to share with you. Number one, pick a word that defines your why. One word. And so for my record label, originally that word was community. And now I would have, I'd have to change that word. It's no longer about community and it may no longer be about a platform for people as it originally was for artists. Today, I would say that word is creativity. It might actually be some sort of creative extension of me. It's a creative, a, a creation uh, or expression. And I think it's important that you and your label come up with a word that is your guiding vision. Maybe the word for me would be fulfillment. I find fulfillment in bringing songs to life from a songwriter to a fleshed out album. I find fulfillment in making music that gives people goosebumps and does to them what music has done to me in my life. For you, the public doesn't need to know about this word. Maybe even the artists on your roster don't need to know about this word. But I think if you have a word that's cemented in your mind, it can help you make good decisions. And I think it can help guide you and maybe maybe just help define your why and your purpose of running your record label. As I look back now, 10 or 12 years later, I can say, okay, that word was community. And today this word is fulfillment. And I didn't really name that word just until now. Number two is to be honest with your artists. I think that it's important that your artist and your audience know what the deal is. Again, you're learning from my faults because I'm only able to identify my mindset all these years later. And I feel like I would have been able to live with myself a lot more had the artist at least just known the deal. And again, I'm not entirely apologizing for how I now realize I ran my record label, but now that I'm able to identify how I operated back then, really only possible with hindsight, I wish that I had communicated this with my artists so that they could say, yeah, that works for me. That's a good deal. Or no, that doesn't gel with what drives me as an artist. And I actually did work with artists whom I worked really, really well with. I mean, I worked well with all of them in, in one way or another, but sometimes there was an artist who trusted me to do things like artwork and release schedule and who took input on track listing and mixing. It was this incredible partnership and it was awesome. And some of those records are, I'm still immensely uh, proud of and they're very important to me. So if you have a weird way of being a record label or a unique approach like me, slightly problematic and, and overbearing, as long as your artists know the deal ahead of time, that's the key. Then you do you. Number three, finally, get good at saying no. Now let's go back to when I started my label with my friends back in 2010. This was before I had kids. 
I had a job that allowed me some spare time. I was able to dedicate most of my free time to the label. It's all I really wanted to do. So saying no wasn't really an issue for me because I had nothing better to do. But that changed when I had kids and my life changed and my career shifted. And as the novelty wore off and I experienced different degrees of burnout, I had to start being more intentional and picky with what I spent my time with. So again, I don't have a ton of regrets with failing to say no because I really enjoyed it. But when the time came that I needed to be more selective with projects, I didn't have a lot of practice saying no. But I'm now very protective of my time and the power to say no or, or, or no thank you is probably one of the most important tools in my toolbox. Let's unpack real quick three great quotes about saying no and what they can teach record label owners. The first quote is, you probably heard me say this before, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Have you heard this one? I love it. This is basically a decision tool for you. It means if you're humming and hawing about something, it might mean it's a no. It probably means it's a no. If you're quick to dive in, then you know it's a yes. There's exceptions to this, of course. I had someone ask me if I was interested in a certain project. They DM'd me on, and uh, I read it, and I thought about it, and I wasn't quite sure at the time. A few days later, they followed up, and I realized I hadn't thought about it once since they mentioned it. This literally happened one or two more times, and it quickly became clear that I wasn't truly, deeply passionate about this project if I never once thought about it on my own. On the other side, I was I, recently I was, I was um, hesitating pulling the trigger on a vinyl project. I did the quick math, and based on an order commitment that we had from a distributor, I basically needed to sell 20 records to make a profit. And so I was like, Scott, this is an easy no-brainer. Stop hesitating. Just pull the trigger and move on. Here's another quote that you might like. Say no out of strength instead of saying yes out of weakness. This means start to get confident in your own discernment. Get confident in the system you have in place at your record label. You have a mission statement, hopefully, of some sort. You have a a mental filter in which you put each new opportunity through. Be confident in your choices. And finally, another quote is, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Again, this is about discernment, but more than that, and this is a Warren Buffett uh, quote, he owes me money, by the way, but um, here he's saying that truly successful people know that success is rarely found in chasing a quick opportunity or in vanity or popularity, but it's found in sticking to your own plan, like I mentioned before. This means that your default answer is no. That's how it is for me these days. I open an email and I can tell it's a pitch of some sort. And my default answer, like before I even start reading is no. And like one in 25 emails or more, I'm like, oh yeah, this actually aligns with my plans. Let's do it. But my default position is saying no, because I have a plan in place and I've got to trust that process. Okay. Your takeaways from this is three things. Pick a singular word that defines your why and the theme of your label. Number two, be transparent and honest with your artists. Number three, get really good at saying no. 
Thanks for listening. And I hope you found this helpful and encouraging. I'm always uh, game to hear your story as well. So you can send me an email. This episode will be sent out uh, to our our newsletter as well. So you can reply to that email and, and share your thoughts with me as well. To download your free record label toolkit and other great resources for indie record labels, go to otherrecordlabels.com.